I think the rate of change that we're experiencing right now is just beyond anything we've ever imagined. And you look at things like 3D printing and how that's influencing what we do. You look at the way technology is changing the way people interact with each other. To me, that influences space as well. Today, Angela and Isabel wrap up their conversation on Angela's journey through the business of architecture and design. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralises your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. In terms of the IT and human resources of the practice, are there specific staff that look after that side of things? We outsource that. So we have an external IT consultant and we've got an external HR consultant. And our HR person actually is fantastic because she's someone that we found through another contact. And she's actually on the same page as us in terms of values. So I know that whatever she does, she's doing that as a with the Future Space hat on. So she's really terrific. Coming back a bit to the balance between work and life and working say six days, is that something that you have in place formally or you just mean that that's what it turns out to be? It's just the way it's worked out. But I block out times in my diary where I say, don't book, I'm out, can't change this that sort of thing. So I do make sure that I kind of start at 10 sometimes so I can get a few things done in the morning, just domestic stuff. I feel like the Monday to Friday thing is just a really outdated way of looking at the world these days. It's a 24-7 world and I don't know, the Monday to Friday just seems like a really antiquated way of looking at things. So what are the hours of your office generally? Well, we're generally Monday to Friday, (laughs) 8.30 to 5.30, but a lot of people come in anywhere between 8 and 8.30 and we're usually gone by 6. We don't do long hours. We actually don't work in the studio on weekends. So that sixth day for you is working from home, That's just dedicating home, yeah. some time or, you know, yeah. or spread out, as you say, when, when you in the pockets of time that you can find around other things. Yeah. Do you balance that then with Stephen? So it's a, he might, given that you have a son too and um, spending time with him, do you try and balance, you, you'll do some work while he might yeah. do some things for the family and vice versa? We'll always say, look, I have to do X on the weekend. Is that okay with you? And we try and work around Toby's social life as well. So he'll be out with his mates and we'll use that half a day to get some work done ourselves. So, But we do make sure there's a lot of family time blocked into that. Have you found that a little bit easier as your son's got older too? Yeah, definitely. He still wants us around, which is really nice, but I feel like that's about to change because he's about to become a teenager. But as they get older, they become their own people and want to do their own things. Was there a certain point that you felt that change as well? Was there a certain age or point within that time frame that you felt you, you had a bit more time back to yourself too? I think it's really only been since last year that I've started to feel I've got a bit more time to myself, sort of year five, oh, year six really. But if I didn't have times, I would just work all the time. Here's the thing that's really stopped me from working, but in a good way. Often I try and think through things that can incorporate my children in something that will also 
<laughs> satisfy something I need to do with work. Have you been able to do that within your practice? He's been to a few work lunches and events with the team, which he loves. We had a Christmas in July event last year with one of our suppliers and he got to come to that. And he even said to me the other day, he said, when is that happening again? I want to come to that again. Like he, he thinks that what we do is just socialise, I think, yeah. sometimes. But I think we're lucky because we try and take a, a trip overseas every second Christmas and he loves going to museums, which is just a bonus for us and galleries. And fortunately, he's a creative kid, so it all works nicely. So do you have a favourite project that you've worked on? I think my favourite one would have to be PwC at Barangaroo. So that project was one that we did nearly three years ago and it was looking at so many different things. It was looking at workplace, but also looking at what's happening in retail, what's happening in hospitality, what's happening in education, even what's happening in public spaces and bringing all of those things together to create this 10,000 square metre across four levels environment for PwC to connect and engage with their clients in a really different way. So I think PwC saw that the world is moving really, really fast, faster than ever before. So they wanted to use their physical space to help them just connect on a much deeper level. So I did all the strategy for that and Gav did all the design and it was really just this perfect storm of a project. It's in one of the towers at Barangaroo. It's a really kind of intuitive space and it's really supported them engaging in in a way that looks to the future and is not just about that very old, formal, traditional, professional services model of doing business. So for me, that's really exciting and I love the aesthetic of it as well. I know I said I didn't care much about what the end result looked like, but it feels very Scandi and the palette is beautiful. I think Gab's done a really beautiful job on that. Can you share any insights on any projects that have been particularly challenging that you've worked on? Yeah, look, I think the biggest challenge on projects these days is time has been crunched in terms of program. And I think technology is to blame for that. I think clients think because we have all of this amazing technology that we can do things faster and faster. And so I don't think they recognise that there needs to be some thinking time as well, particularly in a creative profession. And you need to be able to put things down on paper and test ideas and then come back to them and revisit them. And I think that's been cut out of the way we work. And I think the other thing that's a challenge generally on projects is that all of our clients seem to be watching reality TV and they think that you can build a bathroom in just 24 hours and that it's going to last 10 years. So I think the process of what we do has become dumbed down and and I feel like that's made things challenging for us in that, you know, even really smart, educated people are not across the complexity of not only the design process, but the construction process. So that's made things difficult for us. So we're constantly having to educate to try and mitigate that. What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started out your career? I feel like I know too much now. I'll tell you what I know now. I know how much tax you have to pay. Like I know how hard it is actually just the day-to-day of running a business, which I had no idea of. I thought you just went out and got clients and charged them a lot of money and did a nice job and thank you very much. It's all done. But it's quite onerous, I think, running a business. Do you think to start your own business, you should be clear about what it is that you're trying to achieve? Do you think that there's anything people should be particularly aware of when they're thinking about starting their own business? I think you've just got to be brave and give it a shot because I think the thing you really need to be aware of is how to treat people because everything we do is about relationships, whether it is at work or running a business or with your family. It all comes down to the relationships that we have with other people. And also, actually, you know what? I would not try and limit myself in the beginning, which is what I did. I just said yes to everything. And then that became, you know, I said yes to everything. And then what evolved out of that was that this particular path that is a little bit like going with the flow, the things that present themselves to you become 
the things that are right for you. What skills and experience do you think you need to be an effective company leader? I think you've got to care about people and I think you have to know how to value others' career path and value their contribution and support people in playing to their strengths and support people in their goals around work life and balance of career and home and family. And also that not everybody wants to be a raging workaholic, high profile designer or architect. You know, some people are happy just to come and document for a day and then go home and switch off. And so it does take all types. How important do you think that the naming of the company has been to to the success and ongoing success of the business? Yeah, I think it's a great name. So there were four partners initially at Future Space and they didn't want to name it after themselves. And lucky they did it because it has had so many evolutions over the time. And it was really about the longevity of the business, but also talking about what the name meant. And the name means this commitment to the future of the built environment and how we can be part of influencing that based on all these other things that we know. It's not limiting us to a sector. It's not limiting us to a leadership and it really is a fantastic name that has a timelessness to it. And you're working across Asia and the Pacific currently. Do you see that uh, as a particular growth area for you? Well, they are some of the things that we're working through right now, but that first wave of people going into Singapore, I think we missed the boat and it seems to me there's another wave going into Singapore right now. So that's something I'd like to explore. And we've really diversified. So initially our clients were all workplace, banking and financial services. And then what happened was we were doing Lehman Brothers around about 2008 and watching the news and finished that project, got our last check and then the GFC happened. Lehman Brothers fell over and the whole thing just went pear-shaped. And about that time we were starting to diversify into other sectors as well. So we were doing workplace but we were also doing work in resources and in advertising and in technology. And we started doing a lot of work in technology for people like REA and, and other sorts of businesses. So we diversified then and what we've been doing the last couple of years is looking at other sectors. So not just workplace, but looking at retail, looking at education and building refurbishments. So to me, that's where our growth is currently and not to stop us looking at other geographic locations, but I think that's the next step for us is to start to look at some of those other locations. Are there any limitations you would put on how far you would go in terms of, are you interested in exploring Europe and the Americas as well? I don't know. I'm open to anything, but I tell you what, I'd love to live in Copenhagen. That would be just the idea deal, I think, for a designer to be living there and working on projects around Europe. So looking at the current and future landscape in Australia, what do you see as the growth areas for your company? Tech and IT is always going to be a growth area. There's not a lot of new building stock in Sydney, so clients are starting to look at what they can do with what they've already got. So that's an interesting space for us as well. But then we're also looking at new offerings because it's hard to be an interiors only business because you're offering one thing. So we're looking at other business services that we can grow and develop and leverage. What kind of other business services? Well, things like we've got a workplace strategy offer, but how do we expand that? And doing some workshopping and exploring around what are the other add-ons that might go with that as well. So on the Future Space website, you indicate there are some particular areas of evolution and disruption that the design industry can expect in the near future such as the uberization of space and the development of hybrid working spaces. Can you expand on these and do you think these are positive changes or challenging ones? I think the rate of change that we're experiencing right now is just beyond anything we've ever imagined. And you look at things like 3D printing and how that's influencing what we do. You look at 
the way technology is changing the way people interact with each other. To me, that influences space as well. You know, even just 3D printing. 3D printing was originally about mass production. 3D printing now can be about mass customization. So, you know, you could, for example, 3D print the seat of a task chair and part of what you get in your induction pack on day one when you come to join a new business is a seat that's specifically molded to your body. You just got to make sure you don't put on or lose any weight. But these things are all still really emerging. And I think they're really changing the way that not only we behave, I think they're changing our expectations as well. I think we become more demanding as consumers because of all of these technologies. So where do you see the practice heading in, say, the next 10 years? I think we're known in our industry, but I would like to see design become a thing that is more appreciated by a wider community, a wider group of people. And, you know, I talked about the renovation shows before. You know, if I try and look for a positive in those, it's that they've brought that conversation around design to the forefront. So I think now we're ready for a conversation around quality of design. And so I would like to see Future Space leading that discussion and leading that service offering around providing quality of design to people and design that improves people's lives, not design that looks good on Instagram or is going to fall apart in 24 hours once you've taken the photo. You know, I'd really like to see Future Space at the forefront of design thinking and design influencing. So can you talk a, bit, a little bit about competitions? Do you win much of your work through competitions? No, we don't. It's interesting, actually. We've just been involved in, it wasn't necessarily a competition process. It's more either an EOI, expression of interest or a pitching process. If we can meet the client face-to-face, we usually do pretty well. But if we are just putting a document together with a price and sending it off, we don't actually do so well because we're not the cheapest and we don't want to be the cheapest. And we actually were just involved in a process of putting an expression of interest for one job where there were almost 30 that they went out to and there's a two-stage shortlist process. So they've shortlisted down to 10 and then they're going to shortlist then again after that. And it's just like, we didn't make it past the first around and to be honest in some ways I think it's a bit of a relief because it's so time consuming doing that stuff and I don't think they realise at the other end. So you're also quite a passionate and regular public speaker and writer and thought leader. Is some of that that you've been talking about educating the broader public about these things, is that something that you're particularly passionate about and think about how you can impact on that? Absolutely. That is my reason for being a designer because you know I was saying before I, I grew up in country Victoria and I loved being outside and And part of me wanting to be a designer was realising sort of around the age of 15, you know, people start to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't quite know. I knew it would be something creative and and I knew I would somehow end up working in an office. And I don't know if you have seen offices from the 1980s. They were pretty horrible spaces. So that was the time where I started to see these spaces that people had to spend most of their days in. I thought, God, I can't do that. So that was part of my emerging ideas around wanting to have some control and have some say over my space and wanting to provide that for other people as well. So for me, being a designer is about creating spaces that are connected to nature and do have natural light and are inspiring and have good quality air and support people in just being the best that they can be. And that's not just for corporates and it's not just for the educated architect or design person. It's something that everybody, I think, should be able to be a part of. So that conversation around the value of design is something I'm really passionate about. So on top of all of these things, running your own business, being an interior designer, speaking and writing, I understand that you're also in the process of completing a PhD. Is that right? Yeah. 
what possessed you to think you had more time to to undertake something like this as well on top of all of the other things that you do? That's a good question. But I've heard this phrase that says, you want something done, ask a a busy working mother. Look, I'd always wanted to do a bit more study because I loved being at RMIT. I love being at university and I've always loved learning. And I think that's part of what keeps you young. There's a lot of architects who are in their hundreds because I think it's that attitude of continuous learning. And I was actually invited to come and do this because it's the first time they've offered this at RMIT as part of the architecture design built environment department. So they've asked myself and two others if we would be the guinea pigs for this PhD in interior design. So my topic is around interior design at work and how it goes beyond decoration. And we're about just over a year in and I do feel like I've been going one step forward, two steps backwards. But I'm actually really loving it because what it did, it prompted me to look at what was important, not only in my career, but just in my life on a day-to-day basis. And I think taking too much on did lead to this realisation of burnout, but it also led to this realisation of well, what really matters to me and what's really important. And this is something I want to do and I want to do well. It's quite exciting actually. And the, the other thing that's fantastic about it is I think it really lends weight to interior design because a lot of people see interior design as this thing that you do where you choose drapes and you select cushion covers. And it's so much more than that. So I think doing the study in that and then having that presented publicly and having having that information out there publicly, I think is a really important part of being a designer and giving something back. So as a business leader, do you have any particular tips for keeping your team motivated and engaged or tips for a good work culture within the business? Yeah, look, I think education is our number one value and learning. So a lot of what we do is geared towards that. So every year we send two people to Milan to the fair and that's something for staff to work towards. They do have to come back and share everything that they've found with us. So we do travel awards, we do lunch and learns, we do a whole bunch of things around educating people but also getting them to share what they know as well because I think a lot of the younger ones think they may not have anything to offer but... We've all come from somewhere and we've all got something to bring to the table. So it's about getting access to that across all levels. How diverse is your office in terms of age and gender and ethnicity? Gender, it does gear a little bit more towards being more female. Um, There don't seem to be a lot of men in design at that sort of junior mid-level. There's a lot of men at that senior executive level, but not so much in the younger level. I think the whole working mother thing, there's a bit of a gap there. But we've got every generation in the office. We've got the baby boomers. We've got the 40-somethings. We've got the 30, predominantly 20s and 30s, really. And the gender. So what's the gender balance currently? Gender balance is mostly women. We've got four men. What's your philosophy then for running a successful business? I think the main thing for me is just don't be an asshole. Like you have to know what your values are and you have to be really authentic and follow that path. Because when I first joined Future Space, I thought I had to be really corporate and I thought I had to be a different person than what I was. And it actually took me a couple of years to go, it's actually okay to be me and follow what I think is the right thing to do. And I don't always get it right. But I think as long as I'm acting on what I believe is the right thing to do and I'm acting on my values, I'm being inclusive, listening to others before I make decisions, then it can't really go wrong. You mentioned you had some mentors earlier on in your career. Do you still feel that you have any ongoing mentors? At the moment, there's a few other business owners that I catch up with and we, we have a lot of things in the vault and there's only two or three really and they're sort of in the associated design and architecture industry. So I think that's where I get a lot of my support from these days and also the women's group that I stay in touch with. And you mentioned this idea of the mentorship and 
and apprenticeship that you benefited from in the early days of your career. Do you have anything set up within your practice that influenced this idea of mentorship and apprenticeship as well? Definitely. We noticed a few years ago when unemployment's really low and a lot of designers today have never worked through a recession so they can pick and choose what job they have. So we realised we had to work pretty hard to make sure people were not only challenged but also that they had a really great career path. So we do a lot of different things to mentor and to educate people. So I think what's happened too with technology is it's kind of sped up time a little bit. So the whole master apprentice thing doesn't happen so much anymore. We do do a lot of lunch and learns. We do lunch with the leader where people will share their career history. We do really specific training sessions as well. So Stephen is amazing at test planning and sketch planning. So he does these sketch planning workshops with staff. We encourage our suppliers to come in and share with us what is, I guess, new in terms of products, but also the the story behind. So people are really educated around product and, and the reason for those products. So there's a lot of different touch points. And we do twice yearly appraisals and the appraisals process are that two-way discussion around how can I progress my career to the next level. And we'll do formal training. Presentation skills is one that everybody wants all the time. So we've done a bit of that. We've done delegation skills training, which is a challenge for everybody at every level. And we're doing some other training around sketch planning and hand drawing too, which is, I think, a really important skill to retain. Just out of interest, do you have any formal parental leave policies in place? None more than just the award. I think at a business our size, we stick to the Fair Work Act as much as possible. I think the benefits that we go over and above with are the things like travel awards and, you know, you do get a half day for Melbourne Cup because everyone's off partying and there's flexibility around balancing personal and home and, and work stuff. But the parental leave, we kind of negotiate on an individual basis with people. And in terms of that balance for you, having a majority of female staff, do you feel that there are certain things that you put in place to support the balance between people with families and and have you had to deal with many staff that have progressed from working for you before they have children say or before they start a family and then that continued role within the practice once they do have a family and having to try and work out that uh, understand that shift themselves as well. I think what we've done recently, it's been a bit of trial and error really, because it's really hard to get that right, particularly when you're a senior woman in a client-facing role. So we've worked with a few staff to create a new role for them because they don't want their old role back, which you know I wouldn't either if I was in their shoes. So there have been people where we've looked at, okay, so you don't want to do your old job, let's look at something new. And it is a role that is more manageable, less client-facing, but still makes the most of their skills. And gives a bit of flexibility for us and them too, particularly around like kids get sick a lot when they're little. So we have structured a different way of approaching that that's kind of beyond the award and is more personal. So now five and five, where I'll give you one word and could you give us an off-the-cuff response as to what that word means to you? Success. Uh, success to me is just being happy and being happy for me is about my relationships with other people. Gender equality. I think it's still a work in progress, but the balance is shifting. Disruption. Disruption to me is exciting. I think change can make people fearful, but if you can move past that, there's so many opportunities. Opportunity. Growth and creativity. Downtime. I was going to say yes, please. Thanks for listening to the final episode of Angela Ferguson's Conversation with Isabel Tolland. Listen in next time when a new guest joins us to share their journey through the business of architecture and design. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review. 
Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review, and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.